and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Jesse, today, game day didn't start with Tim and Friends. Jays and Rays already in action today as they play a day-night double dip, just the third day-night doubleheader in Rogers Center history. Weird. All of them coming within the last 11 months because, I don't know, this COVID pandemic thing, and then they had the strike. Yeah. So we're playing two today, kids. Surprised by that stat? A little bit. Yeah. That's call, why I put it. Book, yeah. That's why I put it right off the top of yeah, the show. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was well surprised by well that. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Jesse Rubinoff here to fill the small void between games one and two. Former big leaguers and Bluebirds, Ricky Romero, Caleb Joseph will be by as we recap game number one. Get you set for game number two. We'll also introduce you to the king of the Jays info thread on Twitter. Sportsnet producer, content creator, Chris Black with an in-depth look at that red-hot son of a bichette. His name is Bo. That's all coming up. And I'm going to need a shot at the Monday nighter that left Jesse and I 0-2 against the spread. Long season. After week one, we found out last year it was a long season by going the other way, red-hot off the top. I'm mm -hmm. saying we're going to start slow and then warm up. Yeah, it's better that 0 way. 0-2, but there's a reason why we're 0-2 and I'm a little pissed off nice. about it. All right, so we got 90 minutes on Sportsnet, full two hours on Sportsnet 360, and your reactions to the Jays and Rays at Tim and Friends on Twitter. Jesse Rubinoff and our crew of thousands have got you covered all coming up, but just in case you missed it, the first of two today and the second of five in the series. Now, Alec Manoa scheduled to pitch game one, but he woke up with a stomach bug fittingly mm -hmm. on Looney Dog Day double dip. <laughs> That's a dangerous combination. You might want to steer clear of Loy Toilettes later on tonight. But this one was anything but a stinker. Jesse Rubinoff. Oh, they are fire today. Day one. Game one. Double dip. So Manoa scheduled, who went in his place, Julian Merriweather. Wasn't bare, bad. Soft contact, and then the Rays doing Rays things. Two on, Randy Arozarena hustling down that line. Looked like the Jays may have turned two, but he's safe. Run scores, one nothing Jays. Now top of the third, big inning. It starts with this. Jonathan Aranda, grounder. Santiago Espinal, great play. But Vladdy didn't have his foot on the base. They challenge, called safe, loads the base for Tampa. Next batter, Arozarena, ground ball. Can the Jays turn two? Nope. A Rosarena is too fast. Run scores on the fielder's choice. It's 2 nothing race. Still in the third. Now 3 nothing. Matt Chapman has it go off of his glove into left field. A Rosarena was on first base. Was. All the way around, taking advantage of a lackadaisical Teoscar Hernandez, who then airmails the throw. A Rosarena causing havoc. Jay's miscues lead to a three-run inning, and it's 4-0 Tampa. Bottom six, Jeffrey Springs gets Vladimir Guerrero Jr. swing later in the frame. Springs gets Teo to chase, ends the frame. Holds the Jays to just three hits over six shutout innings. The Jays would rally. Bottom of the ninth, they cut it to 4-2. Vladdy representing the winning run at the plate. The rally hats are now out. Pete Fairbanks. 
nasty. Gets him for the second out. That brings up Bobachet, though. Could he do it two nights in a row? Two nights in a row, he absolutely battled. 11th pitch of this at-bat. Shot down the line. And the ground out will end the game. Can't come up with the heroics two games in a row. Rays win 4-2 the final. After the game, John Schneider did confirm that Manoa has got it out of him. And it looks like he's good to start, too. He's feeling fine. Um, expect kind of the normal outing for him. Um, feeling a lot better. So um, just ride him out there like we always do. How big was Mitch White today coming back and kind of battling after, um, I guess, in the third inning he allowed a few runs? Yeah, I thought he was great. You know, kept his composure and um, I think really settled in. Probably deserved a little bit better. Uh, we gave him some extra outs, which you cannot do against a team like that. Um, but I thought he was great. Phelps, he was great. Uh, kept us right there. Gave us a chance at the end and, um, you know, lined us up nicely for tonight's game. I woke up to a call from Mike Shaw at 10. And then I was like, all right, get going, let's go. Called an Uber and got to the field. It wasn't that big a deal. It was just that initial shock. Once I got to the field, I had time to do everything. Maybe a little abridged, but it was fine. So Mitch White gives him six innings. But, Jesse, before we get into the specifics of this game, mm -hmm. September baseball kind of sort of over the last two nights feeling like October baseball. Yeah, it's funny because you look at the, the numbers in attendance at the Rogers Center, and for whatever reason, you know, the numbers have been down the last two nights. But people probably wishing they went to those two games because they have been awesome to watch. Yeah, and they may go tonight because you have the double yeah. dip. So a, a low attendance on Monday. I was a little shocked by that yeah. point and wish I had gone down because I love an empty dome. Yeah. I am the dude. You that do. Loved, oh, yeah. Feet, Feet up, up, third baseline. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Wish I had gone last night. Uh, wish I had it gone today, but we have to do this job in between frames, and I'm sure there's a few folks that are going to go down. So the difference in this one, though, yeah. is, yes, Mitch White deserved better. You heard John Schneider say it. If you're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, you can't hand runs the way the Jays handed runs to that team in that third frame. And listen, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. probably didn't expect Santiago Espinal to get to that ball. Mm -hmm. But you've got to get back to first base. And then this is just simply inexcusable. Teoscar Hernandez allows a Rosarena go from first to home mm -hmm. on a ground ball to left field. Like, I'm watching my 12-year-old play baseball and you're screaming, get that ball in! And Teo just lackluster. You can't hand runs that team. They love playing that way. Don't you feel like when you get to this point, we just talked about how this September baseball feels like October baseball, and what is so critical during that time to win baseball games is the fundamentals. And it feels like when the Blue Jays are at their worst, you have these moments like right. this. Like in their swoons during the regular season, they are prone to making mental mistakes like this, and it ended up costing them in a very big way in an important game today. And moreover, if in fact Tampa is the team that you face in October, and by the way, we're less than a month away from the first day of the wild card round, which is October 7th, amazingly here on September the 13th. If you get the raise, which you might bloody well could, that's a team that exploits it. And we saw that today. That's Rays baseball. What Randy Arosa, they're not hitting bombs one after another. They're not waiting for, they force it. Yeah. And they pitch it. And today, they forced it and they pitched it. And because of it, 
they got a win in game number two. I was kind of shocked when they said it, you know, they changed it to an RBI on that play because it seemed like a very cut and oh, dry. Yeah. Mitch White got screwed by yeah. the official score. Like completely. You and I agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. We were watching. I was like, "What? What? How? How is that possible?" Like, I understand that a Rosarena did really break stride coming around third, but Teoscar's jogging and holding the ball for three full seconds. <laughs> there is like, no one that doesn't think that's an error. No, it's crazy. Yeah, everyone so, thinks that's an error, without a doubt. I, I mean, you mentioned uh, Mitch White getting screwed there. I mean, how important um, is it for him on a day that they needed it? Yeah, I think it's really important. It would have been even more important had Alec Manoa not been able to go in Game 2. But we are now hearing that, of course, you heard John Schneider say that Alec Manoa will go in Game Number 2. But still, to save the bullpen, and listen, the bullpen of the Rays had kind of been exhausted by their series with the Yankees Mm -hmm. a little bit as well. So there's a little back and forth between these two teams as they play Five games in four days, and Mitch White definitely gave them a little breathing room. That all said, Jesse, the Jays had a chance in this one. They get Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning, representing the winning run. He's unable to do anything. And then Bo Bichette, as locked in as any baseball player in all of Major League Baseball, fought with Pete Fairbanks in what was an October-like at bat. What's crazy about Bo right now is that even when he gets out at the end of the at-bat, it's still must-watch TV. Like, we were all, I was, my palms were sweating. We were in the studio watching this. And you just, Fairbanks was giving him every single thing that he had in his bag. Look at these numbers, Everything in his bag. 101, 98, 86, 88. It's like, he was, everything he had. And Bo was just fouling it off. And he's just on a different Level. I know Mike Trout has hit a homer in seven straight games, but Bo Bichette, you can't find a hotter hitter in the majors right now. Yeah, and it just continues. Mike Trout is one home run and one game away from setting a major league record for home runs in straight games. It would be at eight. That would be the major league record. He would tie it. And yet he's not the hottest hitter <laughs> exactly. in all of baseball because of what this dude is doing in September and more specifically the last couple of weeks. There's <laughs> pretty ridiculous numbers. The OPS is rather impressive. But Bo Bichette, there was a lot of people in and around this building that were waiting for the second set of heroics in mm-hmm. as many days. Couldn't come up with it. And so the Jays go into game three of this five-game series all even one apiece Jays race. Yeah, we're, you know, Bo obviously was a great at bat. Uh, Vladdy, not so much. So one for five again today. Uh, you don't want to be too hard on him because his numbers still are good. And we know we addressed it a little bit yesterday. But uh, you look at Vladdy, and once again, uh, there's an opportunity there to come through. And you end up going to Bo because Vladdy sort of meekly uh, grounds out again. And it just feels like the, the moments are adding up here where Vladdy can really cement himself you know, at, as the, the bat in this lineup. And now it just seems like it's Bo for the last month, and Vladdy has not been that. It's funny that you say that, and, I, and you're not alone. We, we asked on Twitter, how are you feeling after game one of the Jays' Rays doubleheader? Hit us up at Tim and Friends. How are you feeling after game one of the Jays' Rays doubleheader? And Craig wrote in and said, Vladdy's struggles are real. And so... You know, the mind immediately comes through the last couple games, and these are the numbers in September, 218. But if you go to the game log, Jesse, and Mm -hmm. look back to the end of the Baltimore series, he's now on a seven-game hitting streak. 
and he's picked up multiple hits in three of those seven games. Yeah. Like he leads the he leads Major League Baseball in hard hit balls, and yet Craig and you are sitting here and saying the Vladdy struggles are real. The September numbers are real. He's hitting the ball hard. Mm -hmm. He's got a seven game hitting streak. Like that, there's. It's just because he's not coming through when you need him the most. Yes. I think it's perception versus reality a little right. bit here. Because it, and that's baseball, right? Like, we do that totally. all the time. Because you look at last season, and he was second to Shohei Otani in the MVP vote. And it felt like every time there was a big moment, and you needed Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to come up clutch, he did. And even though that's not actually the case, statistically, he didn't in every big spot. But it felt like in those moments, he came through more often than he certainly is this season, and I think over the span of you know 162 game season, yeah. when you fail in the big spots, people are going to put the spotlight on you, especially when you compare it to what he did last year. How pitchers are pitching Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might be the key to unlock Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We're going to go through that a little bit with Chris Black, who's going to join us a little sure. later on in the show. So is Ricky Romero. So is Caleb Joseph. Here's what we're doing. We've got you covered until 6.30 Eastern time when Blue Jays Central will take over on Sportsnet. We'll continue on Sportsnet 360. We'll talk a little football. And speaking of football, Jesse Rubinoff, uh, that's where we go next in what is an abridged version of First Things First. An abridged version. It wasn't the return Russell Wilson was hoping for last night, to say the least. Wilson was booed by a hostile crowd in Seattle. His replacement, Geno Smith. Threw for 195 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. Meanwhile, the Broncos fumbled twice on the goal line and couldn't convert a 64-yard field goal in the final minute, handing Seattle the stunning upset win. Did the Seahawks win this game or did the Broncos lose it, Timmy? With all due respect to Geno Smith, and I mean this, who had himself a game or at least a half, Started with 13 straight completions, just the third guy since 1990 to start a season with 13 or more straight completions. Hoping the Jets didn't ruin Geno like they ruined a bunch of others. But, and big old but, the Broncos absolutely lost this one. They should have won by 13. They had two fumbles at the one. Speaking of inexcusable, that's inexcusable. In fact, Denver became the first team since the 87 Chiefs to lose two fumbles in the same game at the opponent's one-yard line. And those Chiefs, Jesse, they were replacement players <laughs> during a strike. And that might be the second worst thing they did. Nathaniel Hackett might turn into a great coach, but he looked absolutely overwhelmed late. You traded five draft picks three players and you paid Russell Wilson 245 million dollars earlier this month and with the game on the line you take the ball out of his hands and kick a 64-yard field goal <laughs> a sick I drafted Brandon McManus in my pool Ooh. I know he's great maybe the best kicker in the league 245 million facing his former team at his former home with Three timeouts left and a fourth and five. Russ has already thrown for 340 yards in the game. What's five more versus trying to make, what, the second longest field goal That's correct. in NFL history? Mm -hmm. Hackett even got a timeout from the Seahawks to think it over, and he still came out on the wrong side of this one. 
245 million reasons to put the ball in Russ's hands for the love of Carl Mecklenburg. That's not a brain fart. Like, that is a string of them, and this is way too much of a running theme in the show. And I'm not alone on this one. I'm not the only one thinking what the hell happened. There's a few people in this boat. We got three timeouts. See, I might use one right here. E. Let's use Without. one. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about this one. They're gonna try to draw. They can oh, try to draw here. them off sides. Might try to draw them off sides. E. You don't have that much time. Snap count. Well, you don't want to waste that much time. I don't think. Yeah, I think we. I think we should call timeout like now. <laughs> I well, think I they're running a play. They look, they look unsettled. Sutton doesn't know what he's doing. Hurry up. Hurry. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. What the? So you just burned 30 seconds to call a timeout? <laughs> so good. Third and 14 occurred with one minute and 11 seconds left in the clock. They had 20 seconds left in the clock when they kicked the field goal. Yeah, no, I thought it was good, good clock management near the end by Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> uh, so hold on a second. Let me, let's back up. That's sarcasm. So that was so. definitely sarcasm. So you're, you're watching this game. And you have, uh, you said Brandon McManus on your team. Yeah. So when he comes out and he's about to attempt a 64-yard field goal, mm-hmm. being the football purist that you are, are you excited at the potential of getting a massive amount of points from a 64-yard field goal, or are you upset and dismayed because of what you're currently witnessing when you're watching? I'm upset and dismayed at our bet because I had the Broncos minus 6.5, and, a half and yeah. I thought they should have been up significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm upset and dismayed that I might know more in the grand scheme of that football game than the coaches on the Broncos sidelines. And I'll put some of this on Russ, too. Totally. Like, Eli and Peyton are doing the exact... I know being in the arena is way harder. I'm being somewhat sarcastic, just like Jesse was being sarcastic when he said great clock management. <laughs> you, get the te- you get the time out, you talk it over, and you realize, I know McManus said, get me to the left hash mark, 64 and in, and I'm good. 64! It's not in Denver either. No, it's, it's not even at altitude, and yeah. he kicks better on the road, by the way. I know that because they got him in the pool, and... That's I, deep research. I believe that they nice. mentioned it on the broadcast last night as well. Mm. But the call even on third down, like, it was a call where you knew you were in four-down territory. Like, it was third and 14, and you ran a little screen to Javante Williams. It looks like he's going to be good, by the way. Yeah. Look at I mean, he looked downfield to start, so maybe it was a check down. Maybe I'll give them the check down. But that, that looked like a play that you're running because it's four down territory. And listen, I don't know if, if someone's whispering in Russ's ear, run your play, save the timeout, run the play, save the timeout. But you could put some of that on him as well. Totally. But Hackett on the sidelines just looked like he was rattled. Did so, yeah, I mean, your point stands about the blame being on both Russ and Hackett. Uh, you look at them last night. They ran 13 plays, 13 snaps with the play clock at one, two delay game penalties, a penalty with the clock at one, two penalties with the clock Double-digit at penalties two. for over 100 yards. Like the Broncos... Broncos pulled out their six-shooter and fired several rounds into their own foot. The penalties was one. The two fumbles at the one were another. And that still had a shot to win the game, which suggests that maybe the overreaction is that the Broncos aren't that good. 
and the C- I think if you played this one, just like we mentioned with the Bengals and the Steelers, if you played this one 100 times, 99 out of 100, yeah. the Broncos win it. This just happened to be the one, and that's why we love sports. Totally. Did you have a problem uh, with the crowd booing the return of Russell Wilson, who won a Super Bowl for them? I was, uh, I was shocked at how many people were shocked by the fact that they were booing him. I, I get it. I get it. But he also kind of sort of forced his way out. Like mm. He was the one that said he wanted out or there were rumors that he wanted out, quelled the uprising, and then ended up like, there, there's some interesting stories on what the hell happened at the end there. And yes, he won them a Super Bowl, but I think what have you done for me lately is what most fans think. Yeah. And also when he won that Super Bowl, the defense was pretty damn good. And he'll eventually get his flowers in Seattle. He's going to yeah. retire as yeah, a Seattle Seahawks. So he's the opponent for one day. And he was outplayed, frankly. By Geno Smith. First half. Second half, they didn't score any points. <laughs> yeah. It was, an incredible, it was an incredible first half, but there was an adjustment there that was made, and Geno struggled a little bit, but he made some plays to extend some series with his feet. Full credit. Full credit to Geno Smith and the chance of Geno with Russ in the building. Kind of sort cool. of cool for a guy who many people thought his career was over and that Drew Locke was a better but was a better option than him. Talk about overreactions. I mean, thinking Geno Smith's the real deal after one game, you might be getting ahead of yourself, but nonetheless, it was a good story. Good win. Night. Yeah. Good story, good yeah. win, and uh, I love how they use their tight ends uh, repeatedly. I'm a mm-hmm. big tight end guy. Yeah. Wait a second. Football purist. All right, time for a break. <laughs> Still to come, NFL Network's Judy Batista will weigh in on that wild game and what was crazy week number one in the National Football League and some injury updates for you. Caleb Joseph from the Rogers Center ahead of game two. Blue Jays producer Chris Black with some insights on Bo and Vladdy. A little deep dive for you to figure out why one's hot and why one is not. After the break, Ricky Romero helps us break down game number one as the double dip here on this Looney Dog Tuesday continues here on Tim and Friends. Is that a classic ninth inning matchup between a guy throwing 99 and the hottest hitter in baseball fouling off and fouling off and fouling off? What's that to watch from, from your perspective? Awesome. You know, you want no one but those two guys up in that spot. Tremendous at bat by Bo. And Sané is through! Sané! Yes! Left off inside the Allianz Arena! Aiming towards race! Afflicted by Paulinho, a 90th minute winner! for sporting against Tottenham. All right, checking in from the Rogers Center. One hot dog to one hot dog. We have four in total right now. What do we got? Four more. Four more. Eight combined hot dog. This might be it. This might be it. This might be it. Stay tuned. in the Blue Jays lineup up and down the order. They're just perplexed by why I can't make contact with this guy. Catcher's interference on Christian Bethencourt. Tapia to second, Springer to first. Well, in this kind of a spot, who would you rather have up right now than this guy? And he bounced. 
bounces it to first. It's a fair ball, and that will do it. The Rays will hang on to win in game one of the doubleheader. An 11-pitch at-bat for Bo Bichette. Unable to pull it off in back-to-back -back days, but he will get another shot. That's the first of two. The second coming your way in about an hour with Blue Jays Central as they will play two at the Rogers Center. As we continue on in media in 2022, from his home in California to talk about the Jays and Rays from Toronto, here's our friend Ricky Romero. What's going on, Ricky? How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? There, you know what? Listen, I, I know there are a lot of Jays fans that are kind of sort of upset by what the final score of that game was. But if you were just an innocent bystander watching that one, a neutral, as they call it in soccer, like it had a little bit of everything just like last night. Like, dare I say it was Octoberish in the first two games of this five game series. That's exactly what it felt like. And just watching that ninth inning and just watching them put up good at bats to get the runners on, it just it had that feeling like, oh, my God, somebody can be a hero right here. And luckily or the the unlucky guys were obviously Vladdy and Bo not being able to come through. But uh, you know what? Fairbanks made his pitches when he had to. And um, he, he uh, I mean, when he's throwing 99 up in the zone, it's, it's not easy. And uh, I, I really thought Vladdy was going to, out of it right there and it just didn't happen but other than that the energy is where it needs to be I mean this is what's going to happen in the playoffs this is the type of games that they're going to be in in the Tampa Bay Rays I mean they're they're their pitching is just always so solid and I tweeted about that earlier I don't know what's in the water in Tampa but they always just seem to have the pitching under control whether it's a starter whether it's a reliever it don't matter they just get the best out of their guys and it's pretty special honestly what they're able to do with their pitching staff does the average fan, I mean, I don't understand the difference between that third inning really cost the Jays, where they're a little bit sloppy, Vladdy doesn't get to first base, Teoscar allows a Rosarena to exploit him like it's Little League Baseball, and you end up getting a three-run inning, and kind of sort of unlucky to Mitch White, but what's the difference between why the Rays are constantly able to be successful playing the way they do, and why the Jays can't do that themselves? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the million dollar question that everyone asks every year. And it just seems like you just can never count out the Tampa Bay race. They, they have the right guys in the right positions. They, they, the way they construct their lineup, they just get the most out of their guys, whether a guy is hitting 210 or 220, they just guess, get the most out of them. It, it, again, it's pretty special what they're able to do because it's not like they have one superstar player that jumps out at you other than maybe Wander Frankel. Um, and he's still, you know, kid. It, yeah, he's yeah. still a kid. And uh, it's just they do such a good job of being able to get their guys ready and prepared. And, and they just I just feel like they never play scared of anyone because they know they have the pitching. And, you know, with, ta with the Toronto Blue Jays, those are the little mistakes that you can't make in October because it's going to cost you games like it did today. Yeah, without a doubt. OK, so it might have been too much to ask Bowen, as we saw, an 11 pitch at bat against one of the best relievers in the game. He, he battled hard. Um, Jesse brought it up. Uh, a viewer brought it up in our question on Twitter right now. Vladdy's struggling. And I said, well, he's also got a seven-game hit streak and multiple hits in three <laughs> of those seven games. Like, do, do you know what the difference is between Vladdy going and what we're seeing right now? And are you seeing, like, glimp? I know we talked to Buck Martinez yesterday, and he said he saw glimpses of Vladdy snapping out of that. Is that why you had the feeling that maybe... Vladdy might be able to do this? 
Yeah, because some of his swings have been good and he's taking good passes at the ball. Like, I mean, that when he struck out, it's almost like he saw that pitch and it's just he just didn't get the barrel to it. But it's one of those things where I'm sure it's in the back of his mind. He knows what's going on. And obviously he, in baseball, when you try harder, it, it's when you when you seem to struggle a little bit more. And I think he just needs to let it come to him and, and it's going to happen. I mean, we've seen Vladdy when he gets hot. It's pretty damn amazing. And Bo has been the guy that's that's carried this team right now. And and it's just the way the the game is. One guy's going to carry the team and then maybe another another week it's going to be another guy. And it's just these guys just stepping up in the right situations and me, being able to come through. And again, I mean, for Vladdy, I, I'm not worried about it. Obviously, there's a lot of chit chatter on on social media about him and, and stuff like that. But Vladdy's Vladdy and he's going to get his at the right time. And, and like Buck said, I, I feel like it's going to come in for him. Speaking of chit-chatter on social media. Yeah, Jason. there you go. Uh, Chaz writes in and, and says, uh, Vlad should be dropped down in the order. He's a rally killer right now. You can drop down <laughs> Bo and not Vlad. And I think that's not the first time I've seen that on Twitter. Bo was moved down. Vladdy hasn't been moved down yet. Is that something can, that you would contemplate, Rick? Um, I'm sure him and Schneider, like I said, look, him and Schneider are really, really close, and I'm sure they've had the discussions. Um, but again, I mean, Alejandro Kirk, has kind of been struggling too. So what are you going to do there? Tail has been up and down. And I mean, it, you, you, you could, uh, but I just feel like Vladdy's one of those guys that in a scouting report, he's circled and he said, and there's, they, they say, make sure this guy doesn't beat us. And, and if we have to expand the zone with him, because we know Vladdy likes to expand the zone and sometimes he hits pitches that wow you. So he's one of those guys that's just circled and, and guys are going to pitch him differently. Guys are going to pitch him tougher. They're, they're going to go, they're not going to give him anything to hit. And, I think it's up to Vladdy to be a little bit more patient at the plate and and just put good swings on the ball and good things are going to happen for him. 278, 344 are the average and on base. Like, I don't know if you're sliding that down the order, Ricky. Like, I get I get you want to get him going, but like, and I get that it feels like he hasn't come through, but also it's a seven-game hitting streak and yeah. he's got a few hits in those games. Like, it's it's still it's just not Vladdy what you expect. But I don't think it's dropped down the order, Vladdy. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it's one of those things where you just let him continue to be be him. And again, when it when it when it starts coming for him, we've seen it. It starts pouring right. for him, and he starts hitting the ball solid. He starts hitting it out of the park, and all it takes is one swing, one swing to get him back, and then he's like, okay, I'm locked in now, and I can go. Again, I think we put so much emphasis on, oh, he hasn't hit a home run, or he's got. You know x amount of rbis the last few games well you know what pitchers are going to pitch him tough and and you got to tip your hat off to the pitchers too because they are making their pitches against him and um you know the whole rally killer and stuff like that i don't really believe in that i mean it's just it's the way the game is all right speaking of making the pitches uh what do you expect from alec manoa uh after what seemed like uh, did you ever have a flu game did you ever have a stomach bug game you, you know what? It's funny because I was just talking to my wife this morning and I was like, I remember it was against Tampa, the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa. I cannot even get out of bed. And I didn't say anything to anybody. I was just like, whatever. I, I'm still I, I got to go out there and make this start. And I woke up, finally got ready for the game. And I could my, I had such a bad sore throat. I couldn't even like yell or anything. But I went out there and I, I think I dominated. So I, I've been in that situation that Alec has been in and what I expect from him. He's a guy that's not going to make excuses, and if he's re if he's saying he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and and I expect him to be the same Alec Manoa. Uh, I know John Schneider came out and said that there's no restrictions or anything like that. He's they're going to treat it as a normal 
uh, pitching day for him. So I feel like he's going to be the same Manoa that he's been all season, giving the team a chance to win. And he's going to go out there and give it 100%. And he's going to be ready to roll. All right, before I let you go, uh, Ricky Romero, you okay with your Niners right now? <laughs> Tim, it's week one, man. Just, I'm just, one. hey, I, I'm against overreaction Monday. I've been saying it for years, but that didn't look so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, give give the give the kid some time. I, I feel like there's going to be some growing pains with him, obviously, and um, you saw him make some some good throws, and obviously the, the the conditions doesn't help either. I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm sure he wouldn't use it as an excuse, but I just feel like the Niners in all had a chance to put this game away early, and they didn't. And yeah, they're own one. And I'm sure the questions are going to be all season long. Every time this kid struggles, it's going to be like, oh, when is it Jimmy Garoppolo time and and stuff yeah, like that. But yeah. I think Trey is going to be just fine. And I mean, the, the kid has so much ability. He can run the football. He, he can do a lot of things. So I, I'm looking forward to him coming home and hopefully beating the Seahawks because I hate that team. <laughs> I love how you're analyzing it. <laughs> I love how you broke it down for us. Hey, uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, we won't forget about Trey just yet. We will continue <laughs> to keep an eye on him. And I said earlier, Chris Carter was on the show. And I said he's got to get more than a week. Like everyone relax, pump the brakes. They're going to give this kid a shot. Thanks for doing this, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Thank All you. Right. There's friend of the show, Ricky Romero here on Tim and Friends. And speaking of football, uh, we went in on Nathaniel Hackett in segment number one of this show during the commercial break. Did we get an update from Nan we Nathaniel did. Hackett? We did. Here's Adam Schefter addressing his decision to attempt a game-winning 64-yard field goal last night. Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett just told reporters, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice, there you go. I, I appreciate the fact that the Broncos head coach agreed with my take on it mm -hmm. and that he had the guts in game one to say that he made a mistake. Is that better or worse? I, I don't know how that'll go over in Denver. For me, I love it. You're accountable to your team as well, right? Mm -hmm. But they are going to rake him over the coals in Denver for admitting that he made a mistake if they struggle at all again. They're going to say, look, game one, he already made a huge mistake. I think the accountability is, is very huge. You have to look your team in the eye. In the eye, in yeah. the room, yeah. yeah. We'll talk to Judy Batista about that later. She is going to join us to talk about football in our final half hour. Too sweet to be sour, but plenty more Jays talk. Coming up, Caleb Joseph from the Dome. Plus, after the break, Blue Jays producer Chris Black is jumping in studio. He is the king of the Jays info thread on Twitter. We'll break down Bo and Vladdy next here on Tim and Friends. Couldn't hack it. Welcome back, friends. Jays dropping the first of today's doubleheader against the Rays at the Rogers Center. Alec Manoa supposed to start the game late scratch. Woke up with a bit of a stomach bug, but he will start game number two tonight. Do we get a Jordan flu game from the Jays ace? With their thoughts on game number one, Blue Jays Central crew. Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle at the Rogers Center. Gentlemen. Tim, in the early part of this first game, I could swear I saw some pillows and blankets people falling asleep watching Jeffrey Springs change up away retire Blue Jays left right and center. Uh, why was he so good. Well, maybe his manager Kevin Cash was falling asleep in the dugout but that's a good thing for a manager when you have your pitcher and catcher working in sync. We have clearly seen what Rays pitching is trying to do to this Blue Jays lineup. We saw it in game one of the series and we saw it in this one. It's a lot down in the zone and or 
away from these Blue Jays right-handed hitters. And Jeffrey Springs doing the changeup. An excellent pitch keeping them off balance all afternoon. As Blue Jays hitters, you see that fastball enough. It's 90-91. It's enticing. Danny Jansen had a good one in this at bat in the fourth. He missed it. Came back, got him out front on the changeup. That is pitching 101. Jeffrey Springs has been on quite a roll, and he really manhandled this Blue Jays lineup in game two of this series. Blue Jays are going to have to make an adjustment because the Rays clearly have a game plan. It's down and away to these Blue Jays right-handed batters. That third inning was a mess. We talk about this a lot. You can't give a team like Tampa Bay or frankly any team in the majors extra outs to play with. Did you see that? I did and I think it's especially because it's the Rays and the Rays pitch very well so you're probably not going to score a lot of runs. You have to play a clean brand of baseball. I thought Vladdy here thought this ball was going into right field so we kind of gave up on it and then Espinal makes the nice diving play to his left. Vladdy's a little bit late getting back to the bag and he can't find the bag. This one inexcusable. Again, Teoscar coming up with this ball in left field, but I thought it was a great job by Rosarena rounding third. It's as if he knew it was Teoscar in left. If you can challenge him at all, do it. And that's exactly what he did because he knew an aggressive base running move would probably force an error. And that's exactly what he did as Teoscar just airmailed this ball over Jansen's head. But it's just inexcusable. It can't happen. As an outfitter, you have to get this ball into the infield immediately. Get the ball into the infielder's hands and allow them to handle the rest. That was quite an important run, as it turns out, as the uh, Rays win the opener. Tim, uh, we've got, I don't know, Joe's going to have his sixth cup of coffee, something like that, <laughs> as uh, we get set for game two here at the Rogers Center. Blue Jay Central coming your way at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Hopefully it's the good stuff. Uh, I called my next guest the king, and bear with me here because this is going to be a bit of an intro. I want to introduce uh, our next guest here. The king of the Blue Jays info thread on Twitter. He's a producer at Sportsnet, the epitome of a content creator. He's done it producing Blue Jays Central, Blue Jays games, and on-air Blue Jays talk plus with Blake Murphy. Down to black on Twitter. It's Chris Black. Thank you for putting yes, sir. some work in intro. for us today. Quite an intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I want to get it right here. Uh, is info threads the right way to describe what you do on Twitter? I would describe it as edutaining or edutainment, <laughs> nice, nice, but I, yeah. I think somebody else has that already. Yeah. So, KRS yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I I would, that's a good KRS way of one. describing it. All right. So, you're old enough to remember one of the disgusting things on, on the internet that kind of kickstarted uh, its, its rise in fame hot or not. Yes. Do you remember hot or not? Yeah. It yeah. was gross. Yeah. Uh, for the kids out there, you don't need to look it up. But, <laughs> Bo and Vladdy. Yeah. Hot and not. Yeah. Which one do you want to start with? Got to start with the hottest hitter on the planet. All right, let's start right. with Bo. Yeah, for, so for Bo, for me, last night's at-bat was one of the biggest moments that we've seen of the season. And it just, like, it encapsulated what he's done, uh, like, during this hot stretch. Right. I was lucky enough to be on the road trip, so for those first 10 games in September. Mm -hmm. And what we were seeing was just quality, quality not just hits, not just at-bats, but, like, takes. Right. He would he would take tough pitches, and that that's something we haven't seen from Bo Bichette for a big chunk of the year. And so last night when it all came together, it was pretty amazing to see. And the amazing part was this right here, Jason Adams' reaction to this at-bat. To me, that tells everything about the at-bat. So I posted a thread on Twitter that dove into this at-bat, mm -hmm. and what he says without getting into too many details is... With, with the bleeps? He knew it. Right. So that was the first pitch, a huge hack on a curveball. And to me, this was all about curveballs. Bo took fastballs through this really tough at-bat. And then later on, Jason Adam really, 
Jason Adam really wasn't sure of what to do. Vladdy was taking fastballs. So 1-1. One, one. Yeah, Vladdy was taking fast or Boa was taking fastballs and had really good hacks on curveballs. And by the time like the later the latter part of this at bat happens, mm-hmm. you can see Adam doesn't know what he wants to do. Right. But this pitch right there where he's late on the fastball, to me that was everything. Right. I think that he showed you that he was sitting on curve. That showed me, showed Joe Siddle what Joe was talking about it. He was sitting curve. Bo hits the curveball out. And then again, the reaction afterwards is, I knew it. He knew he shouldn't have thrown a curveball. The fastball, he should have stuck with it. But this is the hottest guy on the planet. Like, he still managed a way to foul off a 97-mile-an-hour pitch. Right. Even when he's sitting breaking ball. And Buck mentioned that, I think, during the broadcast last night. To be able to cover off both those pitches. Right. To be able to cover off a curveball. Right. Right, to to knock those fastballs foul, but then still take great hacks at these curveballs. And this is what I was talking about. These takes, they're comfy takes. Like Juan Soto has the best takes in baseball, where he's like, no, no, you're not going to get me. Right. This is what Bo was like last mm-hmm. night before he hit the home run. Baseball, people call it spitting on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spitting and, on it. Just, that's, not, I'm not, that's, not, that's not my pitch. But that's not how you would describe Bo most of his career no, up until not, this he wasn't all, spitting yeah. on pitches do, do you think that it started maybe i know you produced the games in pittsburgh but that important at bat game two saturday night yeah where it's uh tie game late and and i felt like he had a great at bat battled and then came through with the game winning rbis it, it it felt almost like that kick started what we're now seeing over the last little while that was that was one example of it, and right. we've seen it kind of all along. There's a graph, which Dobby might have, of his swing and miss mm-hmm. uh, over the over the season. It. Yeah. Uh, it, right there. So you see that's a downhill graph, and that's what you want to see with swing and miss. And again, this isn't Bo- the Bobichet. The Bobichet in September, everything is possible if that swing and miss is down at 15% or wherever it is. Right. So the 35% is where it starts for those trying to read that graph at home, and we're down to about 15%. Yeah, so while. to me, like, he, yeah, he's got seven strikeouts in his last 75 plate appearances. <laughs> well, again, not right. Bo Bichette. Not, not, not the Bo Bichette that we saw in the early part of this exactly. season. Exactly. So that's if, the difference. If this is the Bo that we, that is possible, Siddle and I have talked about this before as well. Like, any, like, he can be a batting champion. He can hit 320. Right. To me, the biggest, the best comp to Bo is Nomar Garcipar. A guy who's aggressive, doesn't right. take a lot of walks, but also when he's right, doesn't strike out a lot either. All right, so let's go from uh, hot to not. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and as I talked about with Ricky Romero, like I'm kind of conflicted here. Yeah, as you should be. Yeah. Because it's, it's hard with him because we grade, Bo, we grade Vladdy on a curve. Right. He's, we're talking about what's wrong with him right now, even though he's on a six or seven game hit streak. He's got a bunch. He's getting a hit or two every day, but it's just it's not the Vladdy we saw last year, and that's kind of what we're all struggling with. This was what jumped out to me yesterday on how they pitched him. If you'll notice, every pitch is down in the zone. Nothing was over two and a half feet. So to me, when I looked at this, I looked into the numbers. Break his season in half. Pitches above two and a half feet, pitch, pitches below two and a half feet. So high in the strike zone, low in the strike zone. Or, or up and above the strike zone. Right. But like, so I'm not talking just strike zone. Every pitch he's seen, if you're looking low pitches, he's a 100, he's in the 100s, right? Yeah. Where if you look and pitches up in the zone, kind of mid-thigh and up, he's a top five hitter. He's the same hitter he is last year. So to me, what we've seen, and this, this gets back to the ground balls, 
that we, yeah. we've all been talking about forever with him. But when he's right, and if, he, if people leave pitches up, he's demolishing them just like he was last year. Right. It's kind of an inability to get to pitches down in the zone. But the encouraging part from what we saw last night, and even today, that double that he hit last night, that was vintage Vladdy. Right. To go down, that was a pitch down and away in the strike zone, and he went with it. He went down Push to it. get it, and he drove it to right field. Yeah. Like if he's that guy, if he can take those pitches and hit doubles, he'll be Vladdy of 2021. So, so let me ask you this. From your research and talking to people within the game, how easy or hard of an adjustment is that? Because what you just showed us is if the ball is up on Vladdy, he's one of the best hitters in the game. If the ball is down, he is an average hitter in the game. So, our, our, and I saw it in the first at-bat today, yeah. everything down, everything down. So, our, our, can he make that adjustment? It's tough. Joe Siddle made, had a really good demo on Blue Jay Central. Mm -hmm. He's got to decide, he's got to be willing to lay off certain pitches that he can't drive. Right. Right. So he's also been chasing more. So here's my, here's our other line graph going in the wrong Chase way. Rate, yep. Chase rate by month, it's spiking. So if we've seen anything with Vladdy over the course of his career is that he responds to big moments a little bit, like he responds to a bit of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what this is. He's sitting on 99 home runs. He's entering a playoff race. He's right. still a young kid. Right. We all forget how young he is. He's still one of the five, ten most talented hitters in the bigs. He's going to be fine. I think he's just chasing a bit right now. All right, so chase rate down, Vladdy hitting balls down in the zone, Bo Bichette being selective and understanding. It's bizarro Blue Jay world. Right <laughs> there it is. That's exactly where I was going. If you want more like this, at Down to Black on Twitter. They are great threads that will chronicle every piece of info that Chris just relayed. Thanks Thank for doing this. Much. Thank you, man. Uh, there is Down to Black on Twitter. On the other side, we'll keep the Jays talk going. That's right, kids. Jays pitching plan up ended earlier today. So how will game two play out? We'll have down to the Rogers Center. Alec Manoa starting. We'll talk to the catcher, Caleb Joseph, next on Tim and Friends. Sheepdogs back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour is available for your viewing pleasure on Sportsnet 360, which includes Judy Batista to talk about Russ's return to Seattle and all things NFL in week one, including some interesting injury news. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet. Blue Jays Central comes your way. Caleb Joseph is going to join us from the Dome shortly before game two of what is a doubleheader. That's right, already game in the books today. Day-night double dip at the Dome. Got it good and since you understood. Alec Manoa originally scheduled to start game one. Scratch with a stomach bug. So Julian Merriweather became your opener with Mitch White to follow. Top the first, two on, Randy Arena, and maybe with one out, he's getting out. But Arena hustles, beats it out, run scores, one nothing raise. Top three now, two on. Jonathan Aranda, grounder, with nobody out. Santiago Espinal, diving stop to Vladdy, got him, right? Hold up. Vladdy's foot not on the base. The Rays challenge. He's called safe. Bases loaded. Nobody out. Next batter, Arozarena. Ground ball again. Can they turn two? Nope. Arozarena again. 
hustling down the line. 2-0 Rays on the fielder's choice. Extends the inning. Still third now. 3-0. Matt Chapman off his glove. Into left field. The Rose Arena again causing havoc. He rounds third base. He was on first base and scores on a ground ball the left field. Unreal. Defensive miscues lead to a 3-0 inning, and it's 4-0 Tampa. Tail a little upset, and frankly, should be. Jeffrey Springs starting for the Rays. Looking good. He held the Jays to three hits over six shutout innings, so it's 4-0 to the bottom of the ninth. Jays cut it to 4-2, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes to the plate. He represents the winning run with a pair on. Pete Fairbanks in for the Rays. This guy deals. Gets Vladdy on the swing and the miss. That brings up the red-hot Bo Bichette. Can he do it for the second time in as many days? They think so. But 11 pitches later, after several foul balls, Fairbanks wins the battle. Rays win the game, 4-2 the final. And despite not coming through with the clutch hit, John Schneider, like me, like Jesse, like Chris Black, all impressed with Bichette's final at bat. Is that a classic ninth inning matchup between a guy throwing 99 and the hottest hitter in baseball and fouling off and fouling off and fouling off? And What's that to watch from, from your perspective? Awesome. You know, you want no one but those two guys up in that spot with, um, you know, being the winning run at the plate. And, you know, to lay off some of the pitches Bo laid off of, um, Kind of shows you where he is in terms of approach uh, when you're gearing up for 100 and you're taking sliders at 88 in the dirt. So that's kind of, you know, you kind of try to enjoy those moments when you're watching them because they don't happen very often when you get a couple really good players going head to head right there. So tremendous at bat by Bo, um, Tapia to get it going, George getting on, and, you know, it's, um, you know, it makes this game fun. So the pitching matchup for game two, Yanni Chirinas goes for the Rays. He came off the aisle last week through three innings, first in the majors since 2020 after Tommy John and an elbow fracture. As mentioned earlier, Alec Manoa will indeed now start game two. We'll see how he does after the stomach bug kept him out of game number one. Perhaps a couple too many uh, loony dogs, Jesse? I would hope not. I would hope not too. Here's the Jays lineup for game number two. George Springer will DH and bat lead. Quietly, the Jays also need Springer to get going here. He's, yeah. Remember, he like he was carrying them, carrying them for a while. Yeah. And it's it's nice to see them still winning without Springer and Vladdy mm -hmm. doing damage. But if they start, that's when you know this team's for real. Uh, Alejandro Kirk will catch Manoa and bat fourth in the lineup. Kevin Biggio will man second. Rymel Tapia will be in left field. Jackie Bradley Jr. back in center. Schneider says business as usual for Manoa. He's feeling fine. Um, expect kind of the normal outing for him. Um, feeling a lot better. So um, just ride him out there like we always do. All right. We continue our Blue Jays talk with a friend of the show. Our vibes coordinator and Jesse, dare I say, always deserving of two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! It's Caleb oh, Joseph. I love it. What's going on, Caleb? How are you, man? Hey, what's up, fellas? How are we doing? We're doing good. There's there's a lot of anger after game one on Jay's Twitter. Now, it is Twitter, so we have to take it with a grain of salt. But that third inning there where 
Vladdy's unable to get to first base. Maybe excusable. Uh, probably not. But uh, the Teoscar Hernandez in left field. Can the Jays clean that up, or is that part of their DNA, Caleb? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I yeah. think as of right now, it's a little bit part of their DNA. But remember, on the 8-2 and two road trip, they did not play that way. They played really solid, fundamental baseball. And you go back to that Vladimir Guerrero play at first base. That's a really tough play for a first baseman. He's moving towards that four hole, and he wants to make the play, yet realizes he's not going to get there in time. He's having to rush back to first base. Remember, Mitch White then is coming over trying to cover as well. Anytime a ball hit to the right side of the infield, the pitcher is going to be over there covering. So Vladdy is hustling over, and it's a tough play. It's a fast, uh, fast developing play in terms of Vladdy gets over there trying to step on the base, turning around while sprinting and then receiving the throw. I've seen that play botched multiple times. That was more difficult play. The one that killed me was the play in left field in that Randy uh, a Rosa Reina yeah. is just going to run until he's out pretty much he's he's displayed that this entire series the the Rays are really good at, at just creating motion they're really good at pressuring the defense yeah. and for a team that has really lost a lot of slug in their lineup they're really trying to wreak havoc on the bases whether it's stolen bases hit and runs and so what seemed to be just a very harmless play a Rosa Reina just keeps running all the way around and the throw could have been three feet to the left, three feet to the right. It would have had him out by 10 feet. The only place Teoscar couldn't miss there was high, and unfortunately he did miss high with the throw. But that's the DNA for the Rays. That's what they do. They're going to manufacture runs. They're going to pitch really well and force a team to try and beat itself. Unfortunately, that was kind of a big play for the Jays in the first game of this doubleheader. Yeah, without a doubt. It feels like the first two games of this series, though, Caleb, have had a little bit of everything, some pitching, some animosity, some fire, some heroics. Like, it feels like September slash October baseball, doesn't it? I, I was just about to say it feels like playoff baseball. Right. And even though there was 25,000 people here and quite a few empty seats, it felt like 40 or 50,000 people were on the edge of their seats ready to see the Blue Jays come out victorious. And that's what's so special about late season baseball is you start to feel the energy creeping up you start to feel the um, the tension creeping up a little bit it makes it fun from a fan's perspective this is the first time I've been a fan in this uh, scenario and it's really cool I can even feel my blood starting to boil uh, <laughs> when a pitch at 99 goes under Bo Bichette's chin and I'm, I'm ready to get out there and go to war with the boys right so it's uh, it's really good and it's fun and it's it's great when you're playing meaningful games in September. The Blue Jays are doing that. They've got another real meaningful game here in just a little bit. And he will have the call alongside Ben Wagner on the Blue Jays radio network. Listen, you brought up the the bow buzzing from last night, and I thought I saw something from the Jays when Jose Barrios responded to the pitch high and tight on Bo Bichette with his second pitch in the top of the seventh last night even in a tight game I know there are people out there that hate this stuff but you've been in the clubhouse before Caleb true or false something like the response from Barrios on what Bo Bichette faced can go a long way to kind of uniting a clubhouse 100 percent Tim and I cannot tell you how many clubhouses I've been in where there's been a little bit of division between the pitchers and the hitters when a hitter feels disrespected, when a hitter feels like he's been crowded too closely and there was no sort of retribution. Well, that got taken care of last night. And I'll tell you what, I, I never really condone hitting a player, 
uh, but there are moments in games where you can send messages, and I thought Jose Brios sent a message. I will say, Tim, I yeah. thought the umpires did an amazing job. Well. I thought that was very well handled. Um, and remember, the crew chief, Alfonso Marquez, in this series was the crew chief in New York when Yimmy Garcia was tossed out. Yeah. So that was uh, really intriguing for me to watch as it unfolded, but I thought they got everything right. Home plate umpire Brendan Miller did a fantastic job letting the game police itself. It was one and done. That was it. Message was sent. Enough is enough. And I don't know about you, but I didn't see any high and tight pitches to Bo Bichette in uh, game one of this doubleheader. No. I, and I don't want to, like, come across that we're promoting this toxic masculinity or whatever buzzword people sure. are using for this. Like, that's protecting your guys, right? Like, that's saying if you – can't stop hitting our dudes or coming real tight to our dudes, then someone has to, it's, it's almost getting in, in the way of the toxic masculinity, if you will. Yep, yeah. and you pay a lot of people a lot of money to protect the quarterback's blind side, right? right. And so there's a reason for that. Well, Bo Bichette's apparently, obviously, one of the best hitters on the planet right now, if not the best, and so the Blue Jays are trying to take care of business, and yeah, you're not promoting this sort of, like you said, masculinity fighter show of who's more of a man, yeah. but this is the part of the game that it's it's been a part of it, and I think it still will be a part of the game, and I thought it was handled correctly on all fronts. Right. It almost keeps it in check is what I'm trying to say here, and I don't know if I'm saying it properly, but let's move on. Uh, Bo and Vladdy, we just kind of did a hot or not with Bo and Vladdy, and understand that Vladdy has as kind of the, the higher uh, expectations from where he's delivering right now, but is Bo... I feel like the same people who are screaming and yelling about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now were screaming and yelling about Bo Bichette a couple months ago. Is Bo not the perfect example of why talent gets patience, Caleb? Absolutely. Yeah. And let's just look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s season. It's still really, really good. I mean, he is on a tear in terms of 235, 236 balls batted above 95 miles an hour folks that is like off the charts it's just a matter of getting the ball in the air but what's so easy to do as a fan is to look at the 0 for 3 the 0 for 4 and just throw your hands up going what is going on with this guy remember he's 23 years old I was an A ball at 23 years old trying to figure out how to hit any strike much less major leaguers best pitches and coming off of an AL MVP caliber type season it is so hard to duplicate and don't forget this is this is what these kids are continuing to learn is there's no surprises with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Everybody knows that this is the guy that we don't want to beat us in addition to Bo Bichette and they're getting each pitcher's absolute best so be patient all it's going to take is for him to put one or two in the seats and everybody's going to be right back on the Guerrero train and bandwagon all over again but he's hitting the ball hard there are certain things that are a little bit off, but it's not a complete disaster by any means. And I'm so tired of feeling like people think his whole season has been a waste. It hasn't. It's been incredibly successful. I feel like uh, the 99 home runs might be weighing on him a little bit. Like he's one away from that 100. And I just sometimes, guys, like I feel like if he gets the one, it might open the floodgates. I wish I could comment. Uh, I was a terrible hitter. I only hit 35, and when I hit one, I felt like I was on top of the world. So I mean, But, yes, I understand what you're saying, and I think he might be weighing on. I'm sure. I mean, 
I would think that he's he's really looking for that 100th. And again, he's hit the ball extremely hard. He hit two line drives in last night's game that if the launch angle was up about six degrees, they would have been right off the WestJet flight deck. Um, so it's it's not a matter of him actually getting the barrel to the ball like I explained earlier. He's barreling the mess out of the balls. It's just a matter of getting it up in the air. And reality is he is getting hits and his flat bat is what allows him to continue to get hit. So right. hopefully Bo really going off here takes a little bit of pressure off of him and that bottom of the order too really producing is going to take a little bit of pressure off of him. Let him try and continue to work on getting that ball a little bit more out in front which will elevate the, the, the flight of the ball. And who knows, all, all that matters is it's how you finish. So if Vladik really, really, really gets hot with uh, 10 days to go, people will sign up for that all day. Yeah, especially into the playoffs. Hey, obviously your plateau is just 35. It's just the different plateau. That's all That's all the difference between you and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, the plateau was 35 right. and you, you couldn't get there. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you one more. And as a Canadian, I can't comprehend how this statement is true, but like, does Jordan Romano deserve a little more credit here? Like, come on, guy. Like, I think he's doing real well, eh? I believe so, eh? I mean, he <laughs> is something else. And he finds ways, even when he does kind of get into a little bit of trouble, runner at first, runner at second, to really dig deep and get it done. And what I've been so impressed with Romano is the fact that since John Schneider's really taken over, he hasn't necessarily needed a clean inning. He's come in with runners on base to get four out saves, five out saves. He's been incredibly versatile and he's done it in a multitude of different ways. He's he's the, the last save he just had last night against the Rays. I don't think he threw a single fastball. And remember, this guy's fastball gets up to the triple digits at times. So he has versatility. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to the, the lights turning down and the guy stepping out on the field, he turns into a different guy. It's a different mantra, and he's an absolute bulldog out there. So, yeah, I think he absolutely deserves some more credit. He's been fantastic the entire season. Jays are going to need him coming down the stretch. Hopefully, they need him in a save opportunity here in Game 2. All right, Game 2 of the Double Dip coming your way. Uh, 15 minutes, Blue Jay Central will start here. You can hear Caleb Joseph on the call with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We always appreciate it when you drop by. Thanks for doing this, Caleb. Thank you for having me. We'll see you. Anytime. There is uh, Caleb Joseph. And here's the Jordan Romano stat that jumps out to me perhaps the most. Mm -hmm. He has now been called into a one-run game and earned the save in the one-run game an MLB high 19 times this year. So coming in in the highest of leverage situation, one-run lead, nailing down the save. How about this? The 19 one-run saves in a season are already the most in franchise history by two. So that's why our palms are sweaty watching every single game. That's all they do. Play one-run games. Mom spaghetti. Yeah, very good. I mean, Tom Hankey, Dwayne, like there's been some real closers in this organization, mm -hmm. and he is already cleared by two 19 one-run saves. He had another one last night. Incredibly impressive. All right, we'll get you to Blue Jay Central on Sportsnet in a little bit, plus your Jay's thoughts after the break as we continue our Blue Jay's Sandwich Show. That's right, we are the uh, the baloney. Yeah, in the middle I, of the city. Yeah, I got How, how about got the you. prosciutto? Can okay. we be the prosciutto? I like prosciutto better, personally. Yeah. I would even be street meat if that, that's loony. No, no, I wouldn't. No, no, no. Okay, never mind. Welcome back, friends. A matter of minutes away from game two 
of the day between the Jays and the Rays. Jamie and Joe will have Blue Jay Central 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on Sportsnet, followed by, of course, Game 2. Game 3 of the series. Jays, Rays. Got it good and since you understood. Davis Cup Finals group stage on Sportsnet. Canada taking on Korea. Round robin play. A lot closer than it really should have been. First match, Vasek Pospisil facing Seung Chen Hong. And after flitting, uh, splitting the first two sets, of course I screw up splitting and get the name right, Pospisil <laughs> down a break in the third, puts away the backhand volley. Heads to a tie break as he breaks right on back. Now trying to stay hydrated. Coconut a smile for Vasek Pospisil. It worked. In the tiebreaker, tied it to Hung coming to the net. Pospisil, lob shot. Got it good, and since you understood, that's a 3-2 lead later in the tiebreak. Pospisil, match point. From behind the graphic, Pospisil wins the first rubber. 4-6-6-1-7-6. Up next, Felix Auger-Aliassime facing Song Wu Kwan. First set tiebreak. FAA stumbles, Kwan lobs. Wins the tiebreaker, takes the first set 7-6. Now Frank Dancevic having a little chat with Felix between service games, second set. Quan already up a break, fires the cross-court winner. Korean holds serve, won the match. 7-6-6-3, tied up at one apiece. So it comes down to doubles. Felix and Vasek teaming up. Third set, Canada down a break. About to lose. Back and forth at the net. Ji Sung Nam can't get the return. Canada breaks back on serve later. Canada now up 4-3. Pospisil, cross court return. Winner. Canada breaks. 5-3 lead, match point. Pospisil serving. Love, peace, and hair grease. Canada wins the match, 7-5. 5-7-6-3, so this one was tight, but they win the tie against South Korea again. Davis Cup coverage continues Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 1. Rubinoff, we are counting down to Blue Jays yes, and Rays, game number two. You got some baseball for us? I do, but first I just want to get to a couple tweets here of people chiming in on uh, our, our throw to break, naturally, oh. that we just had. Uh, James writes in and says, you are definitely the turkey in the sandwich, lots of love from Halifax, Nova oh, Scotia. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that over what I suggested. Don't ever change. Well, yeah. okay, just wait. Uh, Ideal says a Blue Jay sandwich. The sandwich is normally named after what's in the middle, so it's more like a Tim and Friends sandwich on Blue Jay's bread. Yeah, fair enough. Nice. And Understood, SJ says, yeah. uh, I would even be street meat. <laughs> Pause. Which is very good. So astute uh, Tim and friends of the show, <laughs> yes. for sure. Appreciate it, SJ. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I wanted to get to this, what <laughs> happened last night in the San Francisco Giants game. So Zach Littell is a reliever for the Giants. Oh, this was unbelievable. Gabe Kapler made his way out to the mound to change pitchers. After he had struggled. After he had struggled, which is reasonable for a manager to do. Usually they do that when the pitcher's struggling. Anyways, uh, Littell has some words for Gabe Kapler, as you see there. And Kapler bit his lip, but then went back to the dugout and eventually said, hey, Zach, me and you, we got to go have a conversation. And they made their way over towards the tunnel, yeah. which I kind of respect Gabe Kapler for doing, for keeping it ho-hum and not doing it in front of the team, not doing it in front of the television cameras. Uh, but whatever happened in that conversation, uh -huh. I have an update from the Giants. Zach Littell 
has been sent down to AAA. Wow. Just like that. So let me ask you this. Do you think Teoscar Hernandez will sit in game two? <laughs> no. I don't. We, have, we have a lineup, so I guess you kind of sort of know. Yes, no, yeah. I wasn't thinking about that, but no, I, I, I don't think so. Do you think he should sit after? Listen, what Littell did was show up a manager on a team that's probably not going to make the playoffs mm-hmm. and doesn't have anywhere near the track record that Teoscar has and where Teoscar has come from as a fielder to where he has been for the vast majority of this year. But does Don Snyder need to send a message that that won't be tolerated? Me, personally, I think the games are too important at this point to have a player out that is of Teoscar Hernandez's caliber sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. I am concerned that this seems to be a trend with Teoscar Hernandez, and this is not the first time. This is not even the second time or third time this season that we have seen this from Teoscar. Well, let's face it, though. He, when he first joined the Jays, he wasn't a major league outfielder and has been able to turn himself into... I mean, like even John Gibbons, when he came on the show, mm-hmm. said, I can't believe how much he's improved in the outfield. Which I guess to some extent is why you put up with it. But by the same token, it's been quite some time now. So if you are going to make that change and he is yeah. going to play in the outfield, he has a responsibility to focus as an outfielder and not make plays like that. Uh, Tweets McGee writes in and says, that tail play was poor baseball. Get the ball in. Fundamentals go a long way. I'd sit him next game wow. to make a point. So Tweets McGee and I agree. So Tweets McGee and like would you would you sit him? You would for game two? I, I think that that needs to be a conversation and I wouldn't suggest that it didn't happen in the clubhouse where like John Schneider says if that happens again like you got to sit down or something. We can't have that. And if you have that conversation I'm good with it. Um, but I get it. Sue says, why is Hernandez not sitting his butt on the bench? He has become a liability on the field defensively. Biggio deserves more playing time than Teoscar. SP should be playing every day, too. Yeah, so you're about, not, you're hold not on, Sue, like, who are you going to DH if can't Danny Jansen is catching? He's too important. It's He's, Alejandro Kirk. Yeah. So you have to have him in the outfield mm-hmm. uh, and or DHing. And when Danny Jansen's catching, it's just not an option. You need Alejandro Kirk's bat in the lineup. So this is really interesting to me because you mentioned the outfield is, I mean, it's not new to him anymore, but he wasn't an outfielder. Do you think it's 100% lack of focus, or do you think it's 50% lack of focus and 50% still not understanding certain things when it comes to being an outfielder? Yeah, but that's unacceptable at the major league level. Yeah. And I think that if you did do little from column A, a little you want to give him that leeway, it's still unacceptable for a major league outfielder to do that. And we'll see. Maybe there's a defensive replacement. Yeah, late in the game. he's in right field today, too, for the second game. Yeah, which because is his George needs a break, and yeah. now he's DH. All right, time to send it to Blue Jays Central. We'll see if Jamie and Joe will weigh in on Teoscar and what happened in game one. Game two coming your way in mere moments from now. Blue Jays Central around the corner. As for us here on Tim and Friends, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360 and talk NFL. The NFL Network's Judy Batista. Back in 60 on 360 as Tim and Friends continues.
Welcome back, friends. Lots of injury news in the NFL today, so let me break it all down for you today, starting with the good. Doctors determined that T.J. Watt does not need surgery on his injured and torn pectoral muscle. He is now expected to miss about six weeks. Watt tweeted out this gif earlier today saying, and I quote, I'll be back. Although nice. it's actually the Terminator. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger who yeah. I'm quoting. Got it good and since you understood. Steelers fans breathing a sigh of relief when it comes to one of their, if not best defensive player. Last night, safety Jamal Adams was carted off the field and has suffered a significant knee injury that will require oh, surgery. No. His timeline for return still unknown, but it is not looking good for the star of the Seahawks defense. Meanwhile, Jerry Jones said today, Dak Prescott will not go on the IR despite missing six to eight weeks or at least having the timeline of 68 weeks following surgery on his right thumb. Jones said Dak is a consideration to play within the next four games. And finally, Keenan, Keenan Allen is unlikely to play Thursday night against the Chiefs, but there is optimism that his hamstring isn't considered long-term. Adjust your fantasy mm -hmm. rosters according, and maybe, maybe Josh Palmer, Canadian yeah. kid, might get a couple more looks at receiver than he did in week one for the Chargers, three catches, five yards. What a weird stat line. Even Mike Williams for was silent. Yeah. The whole thing was weird. It was very weird. All right, uh, let's continue the NFL conversation. One of the best in the business from NFL.com and the NFL Network. It is Judy Batista. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Judy. How are you? Hi, great to be with you again. So, so I guess the T.J. Watt news is the biggest of that group, although folks in Seattle might be mad at me saying that, and thus folks in Vancouver <laughs> might be mad at me saying that. But the T.J. Watt, it seemed like when he was walking off the field and saying, I tore my back, that he was done for the season. Uh, this is big news for the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I think it saves their season, or at least the possibility of, of having a viable season. If he was gone for the entire season, I, I don't know uh, how that defense functions without him. So uh, that is big news. I, I would argue the idea that Dak Prescott could potentially return within four games, um, which is incredibly optimistic, I think. Uh, that is huge news because that has the potential to save the Dallas season, too, to the extent that I think it can be saved because they sure didn't look good even when Dak was still on the field. But certainly uh, the optimism that he is not going to miss, you know, half the season, which is what we thought initially that night, uh, that's, that's pretty good news for the Cowboys. Judy, does your gut, and I'm taking you out of the reporter role and asking you for an opinion here, but does, <laughs> is that more optimism or desperation in your mind for the Cowboys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe a little subtle pressure, too. I mean, when the owner yeah. says, well, maybe he could play within four games, you, you can imagine the kind of pressure that's going to be on Dak Prescott, whether it's outward or inward. Um, you know, I mean, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on him to, to get out there. I mean, it's a thumb on his throwing hand. It obviously affects everything for a quarterback, right? I mean, how he grips the ball, how his ability to spin it. It's, it's a tough injury for a quarterback, and the last thing they – they should want to do is rush him out there um, when he's not right. But uh, I, I, I'll use your word, desperation, you know, might make them do things. Again, they did not look great even when he was playing. The offense was not good. Um, so you can imagine how badly they want Dak Prescott back on the field. 
We've been using the term in this show and variations of overreaction Monday for about 20 years. And I try to avoid the overreactions as much as I possibly can. But watching what the Cowboys did against the Bucs, watching Dak go down the way he did, it made me re-examine the NFC East. And in your mind, who do you think is the favorite to win the NFC East now? And did it change after week one? Uh, no, I always thought that the Philadelphia Eagles uh, had the best chance to win the division. I like the moves that they made. They were really aggressive in the offseason, yeah. shoring up the roster. Um, so I, I went into the season thinking they would win the division and that the Cowboys would be a wild card. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I agree with you. I don't want to overreact after just one game. But seeing what we saw and knowing that Dak's going to you know, be out a month or so at least um, – I'm not so sure about that wild card spot anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. Although, having said that, I thought a lot of teams looked unusually bad. I mean, it looked like preseason for some yeah. teams. Um, and I think maybe that's a product of a lot of teams don't play their starters very much, if at all, in the preseason. And so they sort of have to use that first game to sort of work their way into regular season mode. And I think we saw a lot of that this week. Completely and utterly agree. I thought the Rams did that. I thought the Bengals looked unusually uncomfortable, especially on offense in a game that, frankly, they could have and should have won about three or four different times. Did you feel the same way last night about the Denver Broncos? I did. Uh, And as a matter of fact, they looked better after the half, right? I mean, they seemed to collect themselves a little bit and that the offense was functioning a little bit. I mean, look, the offense was a mess, uh, right? I mean, the fumbles, you know, we can get to the end of game sequence, but the the fumbles, I mean, they couldn't get set. They were getting penalties like that. It it was a mess, um, but they did look more competent after halftime. So I, I think that was a little bit of that too. They settled down and, and started functioning better. And then of course they, you know, there were so many opportunities for them. It should never have come down to that end of game sequence and that decision, you know, and then they made the decision, which Nathaniel Hackett only about an hour and a half ago admitted, well, yeah, I mean, obviously we should have gone for it. We missed the kick. Of course we should have gone for it. So uh, I, I suspect that if he's ever in that position again, he will not make that decision to take the ball out of the quarterback that you're giving a quarter of a billion dollars to. All right, let's follow up on the fumbles. The first team since 1987 to have two fumbles on the opponent's one-yard line. In 1987, it was the Chiefs, and they were replacement players. So that probably won't happen again. Although, let's I'll, hope not. Yeah, I'll knock on wood for some Bronco fans, including one of my good friends, Dexter. Uh, and, and so the, the conversation then goes to Nathaniel Hackett. And I said off the top of the show that I thought he looked overwhelmed in the moment. And part of that is on Russell Wilson, though I don't know what communication was being sent to him, like preserve the timeouts or we need the timeouts. And I just thought Hackett even got a timeout from Pete Carroll that gave him time to rethink this. The, the one question I have, Judy, and you've been around the game for long enough to know that while that admission of guilt may have gone over well in his room, with the accountability to his players, how do you think it's going to go over in Denver? Well, I, I don't um, I, look. I think Denver fans are probably like pulling their hair out if there's any hair left after. I mean, the like most me. amazing thing was yeah. watching Peyton Manning um, react yes. on the Manning cast, right? Yeah. Like he was. I mean, it looked like his head was going to split open. 
So I suspect there are a lot of people in Denver reacting exactly the same way. But there's just nothing else that Nathaniel Hackett can do on the day after except, you know, own it and say, we blew it. Obviously, I would do do it differently um, and move on. There's just nothing. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. He's a rookie head coach. Um, he was calling plays. I, I don't know if I would use the word overwhelmed, but there's a lot going on. And uh, there's Peyton now about to lose his mind. And um, I would say this in, in Nathaniel Hackett's defense. We've yep. seen a lot of coaches who have a lot more experience than Nathaniel Hackett blow it on game management uh, decisions. Yes. We, we've seen coaches, Bill Belichick blows it sometimes, right? Like the greatest ever to do this. Andy Reid blows it sometimes. It's tough. Um, so, you know, it won't be the last time that, that Nathaniel Hackett makes a decision like that, that you say, what's he doing? Um, it just happened to come in, you know, this enormously high-profile game. Without a doubt. We'll see how the Broncos bounce back as we peer ahead to the Week 2 games. And Thursday night is an intriguing one. Chargers at Chiefs. Mahomes, all he did in Week 1 was 30 of 39 for 360 yards, yeah. five touchdowns and no interceptions. There was the famous now Tyreek Hill quote in the offseason about Tua being um, more accurate than Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Do you feel like the Chiefs are trying to prove a point here? I feel like Patrick Mahomes probably heard that. Uh, and, I, and I feel like, you know, I don't think we need to worry about Patrick Mahomes. I don't think we need to ask any more, like, what's the Chiefs offense going to look like without Tyreek Hill? It looks just fine. I think we forgot that Andy Reid is an offensive genius, and he had six months to prepare for life without Tyreek Hill, and he went into the laboratory. And Andy Reid said, you know, during the summer – that there were going to be some pages of the playbook he might be able to dust off now because the whole offense was not going to run through essentially Tyreek Hill. So I think we might see a more diverse offense. I, I don't think we need to worry about what the Chiefs are going to look like this year. They're, they look just fine. Okay, so of the, uh, the most overreacted, and you live in the United States of America where uh, a hot take can go a long way, especially <laughs> with the days of Twitter. Um, who are you most worried about among the groups that – the Niners struggled in Chicago with Trey Lance. Uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers didn't show up in Aaron Rodgers fashion against Minnesota, division rival. The Bengals, uh, the Rams. Who are you most worried about among the, the highest of the hot takes? I think I'm probably most worried about the Rams and the Packers because of the personnel both of those teams have lost, and you wonder if they can overcome it. The Rams, I, I'm also just sort of concerned about the Rams just looked sort of flat the other day, yeah. which is weird on a night that you raise a championship banner that the team wouldn't have any juice. But even more than that is, you know, losing Odell means that teams are going to be able to key more on Cooper Cup. They didn't get Allen Robinson involved in the game. Um, not having Von Miller there means Teams are going to be able to focus on blocking Aaron Donald. You know, Jalen Ramsey got got burned. You know, if your stars don't show up, and then of course, you know, Matthew Stafford and what's the situation with his arm? I mean, he did not look good at all. You know, when your stars don't show up, um, and that is a star-laden team, that's something to worry about. And they've lost some players. The offensive line did not protect well. Andrew Whitworth did not give up a sack last year. He's not there anymore. He's working for Amazon. So. Um, I'm worried about them. I'm certainly worried about the Packers. They look much worse than I could ever have imagined they were going to look. Um, you know, my feeling generally is that Aaron Rodgers can cover up a multitude of sins, um, and, he, and he wasn't able to. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the big drop to start the game was, was rough, obviously. 
Um, you know, I, I am wondering how they can get these receivers up to speed and performing at a level where Aaron Rodgers is going to have confidence in them the way he did in Devontae Adams. Yeah, so is most of Wisconsin. Uh, appreciate <laughs> you doing this, Judy. Always great catching up with you. Great to talk to you. Take care. There is uh, Judy Batista, NFL.com and the NFL Network. Uh, a reminder of the stat of the day, oftentimes early in the NFL season on this show. Almost 50% of teams that play in the Super Bowl do not make the playoffs the next year. Rams, Bengals, 0-1. Mm-hmm. Heading good into mm-hmm. week number good two. Good start for the stat. Uh, on Thursday, I'll give you the stat about teams that start 0-2 and how often they don't make the playoffs. But we'll do last call next. We take the break. Blue Jays getting set for the second of a double dip at the Rogers Center. Jesse Rubinoff takes the reins next as we do. Last call here on Tim and Friends. Hey kids, want to get you caught up to date Champs League match day two. Robert Lewandowski taking center stage as he faced his former team Bayern Munich for the first time. And in the 21st minute, he gets free back post, but the header turned aside by Emmanuel Neuer. Tougher when you're facing that dude because he's pretty good, even though he headed it right at him. 50th minute, Bayern set piece, Lucas Hernandez. First goal since November 2020 gives the German champs the 1 0 lead. Four minutes later, more from the home side, just four minutes later, Leroy Sane. In slots at home, second straight Champs League match with a goal. Byron spoils Lewandowski's return. 2-0, your final. Meanwhile, Liverpool hosting Ajax. The Reds coming off a 4-1 loss to Napoli in their opening Champs League match. 17th minute, 17th minute, Diogo Jota finds Mo Salah. He did score. Yeah, he should score, and he did score. First goal in five matches, 160th all competitions for Liverpool. 1 0, 27th minute. Mohamed Kudus turns, fires off the bar, and in. He's got five in his last four games. That an absolute cracker. We are level at one apiece. 75th minute, cross into the area. Daily beeline. And he just misses the header wide. That would have given maybe an upset. The other way we go, the Liverpool. Joel Matip heads it home. Appears to be cleared off the line. Ref rules the ball was in. Liverpool win 2-1 as Ajax had their opportunity, but they drop all three to the Reds. All right, it's time now for last call. And for last call, as always, I hand the reins to my lovely partner in crime. Jesse I did say, I think last week, that I just feel like he, you flex on him with the soccer highlights. I, you know, like it's a kid in a candy store. No, I, I never get to see them before we do them. You yeah. know that. We're yeah. sitting out here, and usually the games are on and or ending while we're on the air. So I, I never really get to see the games, and I, I feel like I kind of sort of do them a disservice, to be perfectly honest. No, disagree. There's also an argument going on in our uh, mentions about Tasca Hernandez. <laughs> Maybe I'll show it. Why not? Uh, tweets McGee. We obviously referenced the, the yeah. earlier tweet about whether or not uh, getting the ball sit. in. Fund of, I'd sit him next to make a point. Uh, Nathan writes in and says, "I'm very happy you aren't the coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. They are grown adults. Clearly, newly messed up. Definitely not how you handle a situation." Uh, 
Mona Mamu says, yes, he screwed up, gets millions of dollars as an adult. What do you do? Give him a lollipop as he gets to the bench. It's an interesting conversation because he's obviously a huge part of the team and he obviously knows that he screwed up. So I think we hit on something here. What do you do with the guy who knows that he needs to be better, mm -hmm. but has in the past displayed some of that DNA? It's hard. It's not like something that you can really fix in the off season. Sort of just like no, but it I, out that's now. where I think we're like I think that fans don't give enough credit to the idea where two grown ass men sit down, have a conversation about how that can't happen, mm -hmm. and how that's the accountability that they think only happens when you're benched. Like Gabe Kapler and Zach Little, Littell. Well, but he got sent. He down. got sent down, but. <laughs> The conversation part of it. Right, but most coaches <laughs> won't point. do it, won't even pull you down into the tunnel. They'll wait until the clubhouse. Right. And then they'll turn to you and say, listen, I could have done this in the in the dugout. I could have pulled you down in the tunnel. Sure. But I'm going to have a conversation because you're a grown-ass man and a big part of this team. Don't do that again. And those kind of conversations happen all the time. And sometimes, because people are too busy trying to yell and scream on Twitter to get attention, they don't give enough uh, I don't know, credit to yeah. grown-ass men just having conversations. See if Teoscar gives us uh, a better talking point in Game 2, because he is in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, a couple of Sportsnet's own were taking in the Jays game earlier this afternoon. Basil Camisa and Danielle Michaud decided to document their attempt at eating as many loony dogs as possible. Have a look. This loony dog <laughs> thing's out of control. All right, checking in from the Rogers Center. Danielle Michaud, Basil Camisa here. One hot dog, one hot dog. We have four in total right now, but you already know we're gonna go crazy today. What do we got? Four more. Four more. Four more dogs. Which makes a total of four each and eight combined <laughs> hot dogs. I'm not gonna lie. This might be it. This might be it. This might be it. Stay tuned. This gluttonous. Yeah. Uh. This is it. We are accepting defeat. We only ate eight. Eight combined. We you know. Could have done more. It was. Just we need to look out for our coaster, health here. Real roller coaster of emotion throughout each one. It's fine. Popcorn now and mini helmet ice cream. Signing off. Oh. Sorry to disappoint. Oh, why is the mini, why does the mini helmet ice cream hit different than any sort of other ice cream? Yeah, it is very good, but yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure I understand that. What? So you, you, you don't have room for the hot dogs, but you have room for the the helmet ice cream well, and the popcorn you, you know what just happened there this this loony hot dog thing is out of control mm -hmm. a lot of people we we just pandered to a publicity stunt by danielle michelle and basically <laughs> that's what we just did we fell into their publicity stunt by putting it on tv when they only had four of let's be honest they're not giant hot dogs those the, the loony dogs are no. of average child yeah. size love them both but when you commit to the to the bit you know yeah, you, you, got you gotta to get it, in like yeah. the, the double digits at, at at very least i'm sure I mean, they'll come back at us on twitter and we'll have to go eat didn't like and like that, and but. maybe uh ailish can tweet in if she's watching and not asleep because mm -hmm. she works in the mornings on uh, fan 590 in toronto but didn't she do that herself like i think she got to eat herself on a loony dog Tuesday night. I think we're causing some beef. Ah, Jesse. In the sports night newsroom. <laughs> I like it. All right, let's go to boxing. Let's see like if Baelish writes in. You got to get the double digits if you're posting I on agree. social media. I agree. Uh, Anthony Joshua has accepted terms for the Tyson Fury fight on December the 3rd. Fury yeah. last fought in April, defeating Dylan White, while Joshua is coming off two straight losses. Uh, does this get the juices flowing, this fight? Listen... Canelo and Triple G is probably going to get a little yeah. bit more out of me than 
this fight would, but I keep seeing like, can this save the heavyweight division? Or can this fight save boxing? And it doesn't have to be Fury Joshua, where someone said, stop it. Boxing is never going to be what it once was. It, you might have stars, you might have someone else bring it to a level, but it'll never, it's, it is like horse racing, where there's a niche audience, they absolutely positively love it. Mm -hmm. You can still make millions upon millions of dollars if you're at the top of the game, but it'll never be the same. People who enjoy it, enjoy it. People who don't enjoy it, don't have to watch it and just let it be where it is because I'll enjoy Canelo and Triple G. I'll, yeah. I'll enjoy Joshua Fury, but it's not like, oh, is this the fight to bring us back? Are you gonna get super excited about this fight? Just enjoy it if you enjoy it. Yeah, also feels like it has to be an unknown commodity if it's if it's going to get to that level. You know what these guys are at this point. Yeah, these guys these that we're talking guys, about, yeah, sure. all four Even the four of them. Yeah. All four of them, I would agree. And, and if, if Triple G didn't excite people when he came out, like, mm -hmm. I don't know what will. Totally. Uh, game two of the WNBA Finals goes tonight from Vegas. The Aces hey. took game one in front of a wild crowd that featured several NBA stars in attendance, including John Morant, DeMarcus Cousins, and Kyle Lowry. What about Shea Theodore? Shea Theodore also in attendance. In yeah. fact, Holly Rowe uh, on Twitter recorded a decibel reading peaking at over 108. 108. And as she mentions in the tweet, just for reference, Ohio State football, the Ohio State football last week, 90,000 plus peaked at 104. Or over that. What's the loudest sporting event that you yourself have ever been to? The loudest sporting event. That is a tough oh question off the top of the head. Um, bat flip for me. Bat, you were at bat flip? Yeah. Yeah, that had to be an absolute explosion. Absolute insanity. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah, it's got to be the Raptors be. in the NBA Finals. Oh, that was loud too. Yeah. That oh, got that me was really close. loud. And the too. lower the lower roof helps, but I don't know if there would be any. I wasn't at the bat flip game. But I don't know if there would be anything that I've gone to that would beat the bad flip. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but do you remember when the Raps were the, the upstarts and they played the Nets in that series? The it was the the F Brooklyn the series. F Brooklyn okay. series. Yep. I think that was the loudest I've ever heard the Raptors crowd. It was a it was a different crowd because they were a different team, that a different culture. I was there at Knicks and, and Sixers with Vince Carter, and yeah. it was loud. It yeah. was super super loud, and it was such a contrast to the Leaf fans. Yeah, because that, that was, seems like it's changing too a little bit. Yeah, back then it was serious. Yeah, sit on your hands. All right, kids. Hope you enjoyed another two hours of edutainment. We appreciate you doing this with us, Jason Rays. Second half of the double dip about to get going over on Sportsnet. Some Mariners baseball available on Sportsnet one tonight for scoreboard watchers and M's fans across BC. Coming up on Sportsnet 360. Gotta see it. Plays of the week before WWE NXT takes over the airwaves. Got it good. And since you understood, we will speak to you again tomorrow right here on Tim and Friends. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Timmy.